Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the PGP, the Permission Granted Podcast, the show about the show, the show within the show. Every single week we take you behind the scenes with the Permission Granted Podcast, and it's available on the DA Show podcast feed. It's also available on its own podcast feed. Just wherever you get your podcast, search Permission Granted or The DA Show, and you'll see the PGP Weekly. So this week, we reviewed A League of Their Own as our mothership at the movies, which we will get to the cutting room floor momentarily. However, today was quite the chaotic day for Mraz. His connection has been on the fritz for the last couple of days, leading to the Pee Wee Herman-sounding robotic laugh that you've probably heard that we played as a drop a number of times. So finally today, Mraz had had enough and said, I got to go get a new ether- Ethernet cord. We thought that maybe the culprit was Eli urinating on your router the other day. What day was that when Eli took a, a good, nice, long pee on your router? So <laughs> that's a hell of a way to paint the picture. So truth be told, much like anything in the working from home pandemic world we live in, every day has kind of felt like the same. But I believe the day was actually a week ago Monday. So I think it was about 10 days ago was the Eli urinating, I believe. I don't think it was that long ago, was it? Do you think it was a well, week and a half ago? I was off on Thursday and Friday, and it was definitely uh, it definitely happened to a, a day where the next day I was able to make that the epic fail because it was the epic fail the following day because it was a fail within the fail. So it had to have been either Monday or Tuesday because there's no way it would have been Wednesday because I was off Thursday or Friday. Oh, okay. So, All right, I mean, so it's been be over that. a week. Been right. over a week. And I would say as starting with the Sunday show specifically, I was very glitchy, very glitchy Monday, Tuesday, and now we're taping this on a Wednesday. So we've gone through about four shows, which in theory would lead credence to urination sitting in and burning through some of my routers. <laughs> 
So I just suggested getting a new router because if you got a router from the cable company, they almost always just swap it out for free. But you actually purchased your own router. Right. I went the cheap route because I wasn't loving my Internet provider's uh, pricing compared to the price of the one you would get at Best Buy or whatever your local uh, store would be. So I went with that. So I would physically have to just go buy another router. And also, look, I mean, not to get into too home technological-wise, but we're all working from home. A lot of people are in this country working from home. My wife does a lot of video teleconferencing. Her job is constantly working from home. She really gets started after our show. She, and I, I, had, I had this conversation with her last night, has not had a single glitch with our Internet. So for me, for our, the dog urinating on the router to be the issue it should be affecting more people in the house, including things like Netflix and Amazon and everything Everything you use, the Alexas, everything you use the Internet for should all be affected. And it seems to me the only thing being affected directly is my line on the show. So in the middle of the show today, you decide to run to Target. Yes. So there's a Target right next door to you. And do you decide to actually run on foot literally or do you drive to Target? So... I- I mean, I, I actually run or walk up there. There's a supermarket up there. It's a big plaza shopping center with a lot of key stores. It's not far off a highway. So oftentimes I'll, I'll walk up there if I need to walk to a couple. So it's a nice, easy walk. It's about three blocks. I can almost see the brick wall from my backyard. So I drove today, though, figuring I had time was of the essence. I can't be dilly-dallying, picking dandelions. I drove. And I actually sent the picture to you guys. We ended a segment. And it was three minutes later, I was in Target. That's how close I live by car to get there. Right. So we ended the end of the 8 o'clock hour. And we had Brian Baldinger coming up at the top of the 9. And you got in your car. You you signed off as soon as we went to break, which is 8.55 or so. Right. And you had gone to Target and then decided, I'm going to go to Staples as well. Right. And you were back in your living room or back in your basement in front of the Comrex setup. And newly connected. By the end of the Baldinger interview, which was 9.13 a.m. So you did all of that in like 18 minutes? Insane. That is athleticism at its peak, D.A., we talked about me being very down in the dumps, reliving the fall of my athletic career with losing that chicken challenge. The idea that I could run and only have a 13-minute, basically, interview with Brian Baldinger to get this done to not one, but two stores. And we know how big Target is. It wasn't like the Ethernet cables right next to the Reese's Pieces by the register. True. I had to go all the way back to the electronics department, talk to somebody working there, because all I saw was one. It was a shorter cord. Make the call. I called Staples from Target, which wow. is on the other side of the parking lot. Hey, do you have this? What kind of lengths do you have? Yeah, we have them. Ran in. Staples had just opened at 9 a.m. Eastern. I was the only customer in there. Those, again, on the back of the bill uh, of the building. I ran, saw what I needed, got back, couple juke moves, paid at the register, got in my car, no lights between me and the store, got home, unwrapped the packaging, hooked back up to the cable, restarted my box, talked down to Pete the Body, the bo- Pete the Body, Bablotti on the line, and had my headset on and was listening to the final answer Brian Boldinger gave you. That is incredible athleticism. Quick feet, Mraz, real quick feet, and I have to say it seems like it did the job so far so good. I mean, I'm crossing my fingers, but right. if this Yola. is the case, that means that Eli the Pomsky's urination did not destroy the DA show. Yeah, he would be off the hook, but again, 
look, Eli has a job. He he works security at Bob's Bar. He checks the front gate. He makes sure you know everybody's up to snuff. He you know he'll bark or chase anybody out who starts acting unruly. <laughs> so he does have a summer job. So in theory, you know, he's trying to save up for all sorts of bones and everything else that he likes. He would be paying for the new router if uh, with his summer job money had he screwed this up. Did you blow through social distancing protocol when you ran into Target and ran into Staples? I might have, but my focus was solely selfishly on myself and knowing kind of the idea of where things would be in the store. Mask was on. I wore a mask very safely. Luckily, it's a weekday, and it's early. So, like, the store was not crowded at the beginning of opening. Staples had nobody. Target had a few people in it. But... And also, you got to remember where I'm going to that back of the electronics part. People are going to the food areas, the more necessity areas. Nobody's really looking to buy sound bars, TVs, and internet equipment. <laughs> that section was really empty. Well, I'm glad that you got it figured out. Sounds like we have a good fix here, and that's the most important thing. Yes. So now on to a league of their own. This was along with Slapshot. Huh. He got nope. game. No, no. A League of Their Own and Slapshot are far superior movies to He Got Game. Okay. I mean, as sports movies, I guess, but He Got Game is a very good movie movie. You, you know, think? With the way it's shot and the music and, like, it's it's theatrical. You know, the other movies aren't, like, Happy Gilmore and Talladega Nights aren't theatrical. He Got Game is is like a work of art. Well, I thought A League of Their Own was a work of art, and it really was an amazing tale, amazing acting. It combined being funny with poignant and some tragedy and just some really cool set design and was of the era. I just thought it was really, really great. And one of the things that actually really blew me away so the, the setting of this is that the bulk of the movie is these young women in the 1940s are playing in an all-American baseball league because during the war, World War II, there is some concerns from the owners of baseball that maybe there's too many men fighting across seas, too many stars are fighting across seas, Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, etc. And either they might die across seas or there might just the war might go on for so long there might not literally be enough men to play for a full Major League Baseball league. So they kind of create this as an alternative. The first scene of the last scene are these women looking back as older women as they get together in Cooperstown for a reunion and then ultimately go to Cooperstown to check out an exhibit about their league. Did you think that those were the actresses from the movie in makeup or different actresses? Different actresses, definitely different actresses. Although I must say, two specifically, the the Rosie O'Donnell character is an older woman, and Gina Davis's character is an older woman. Did a pretty good job of probably portraying what they would look like as older women. Gina Davis's character as an older woman was so accurate to me. Her eyes, her high cheekbones, her hair, her her how tall she is. I, for a minute, thought, my God, they have done an amazing job making Gina Davis look old like they tried to do in The Irishman when right. they made they made Scorsese made De Niro and, and who else was in that? Um, uh, Pesci. Pesci 
and Pacino. and Pacino all look old. And then when I saw the rest of the team later on, the Madonna character looks pretty much like Madonna. Rosie O'Donnell, as you said, kind of looks like her. They had done such an amazing job just casting, just casting women that would look like their older counterparts. That I was like, this, the attention to detail in this movie is amazing. You never see that. When you see, like, how about even take Stillwell? Stillwell as a kid is played by that little chunky kid running around being annoying. Right. He's played as an older man by the guy that plays the fat dude in, in Teen Wolf. Boy, and throwing the fat out there. Well, the brace. All right. Husky. Not the, the husky guy from Teen Wolf. He was also Francis in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And it is perfect, is it not? I mean, he looks like what Stillwell would have looked like 50 years later. You're right. You you take almost take the subtleties of that movie and those things like that for granted. When Stillwell is standing there and even does the you're gonna loot like he he nails the the manner that the kid would do. You're right. Those I believe there are probably times where we watch movies, unless you're a real expert, you know, critical, where you take moments like that for granted of great movies, and it, it was just an unbelievable job. In fact, you know, technology had changed, has changed so much. I know you're not really a fan, but a big hit show is that show This Is Us, and one thing they do is they kind of overlap, you know, the time periods. You kind of go back in time, you go in the future, you have current times, it's telling the story of this family, and... All the actors, basically, unless they're kids and then they're adults, are the same, and they have an incredible makeup job. Like Mandy Moore, they have her basically doing the same thing as Gina Davis as an older woman, and it stays Mandy Moore. And mm. that's how far – now, this movie's 1992. Technology has changed, and they have the makeup to be able to do that. So think about that. If this movie was made today, they probably would just be able to keep the actresses and do that kind of style of work. So to not have that technology, frankly, 1992 to make it look as good with the makeup and go with separate actresses and actors and cast it that way, I mean, just unbelievable. Awesome. So awesome. So there's a couple of things movie-wise that I want to get into, and I have a whole page of whether this was historically accurate or not. Okay? I always love doing this. Okay? Number one, it was not an integrated baseball league. There were there were only white girls allowed to play in it. You could not have African-American women or people of color, women of color in it. So there is a brief scene where it appears to be maybe a fan. Maybe she's a grounds crew member or stadium member. I can't quite tell. Right. A ball goes foul down the first baseline. She picks it up, and she's an African-American female, and she wings the ball back to the infield. And she throws it on a rope so well that all of the girls playing realize, wow, you should be allowed in this league. And she kind of gives a little bit of a longing stare like, yeah, I should be able to play here. So I thought it was an interesting message to remind us that, yeah, just like Major League Baseball, it was before Jackie Robinson crossed the color line. And so it's kind of ridiculous, like, Black women weren't allowed to play in this league right. either, and how much better would it have been? But I didn't know if they addressed it enough. Was it enough to just give the cursory, you know, token, oh, here's an African-American woman throwing a baseball well? Or was that well enough because it got the point across without hammering it over your head? So here's how I interpreted that. To me, it's obviously not a big part of the story. The story is about the women, but that scene specifically I think is so necessary 
and so important because I think it's a reminder to the current audience in 1992 and now since, wow, this is how things were different, and this is why you're watching a movie with only white girls if you're questioning what's going on. Be reminded that this is the time period. And that stare down and, and almost wink, to me, is like a hat tip to what's to come in the future, if you will. Like, yeah, I'm not allowed to do this, but we belong, and you know we belong, and you as the audience know we belong, obviously, as a race. So I, I thought it was the perfect message and the perfect like reminder of, oh, this sucks that she wasn't allowed to play, but it's a nice hat tip to what would eventually come in baseball's future. Okay. So I didn't realize this, but I so I started looking up historical accuracy. And, of course... In this scene, we know what we know the outcome, which is African American ball players never end up playing in this league. So this league goes on for ten years; they're they're never allowed in it. However, there was a woman that pitched in the Negro leagues. Wow! Can you believe that? I had no idea about this, but the more that I read about it, the more I I was shocked. How progressive is that? that there was a female that actually pitched in the Negro Leagues. That's pretty incredible. I never knew that story. And I, her name, to me, should be more well-known in sports fans. Like That is, I mean, like a double whammy of, of progressive thinking. That's unbelievable. Mamie Johnson tried out Johnson. for this AAGPBL, All-American Girls Pro Baseball League, but she was turned away, but she would later on pitch in the Negro Leagues Three women pitched in the Negro Leagues. That's incredible. Wow. That, that is unbelievable. Okay. Next anecdote. Who do you think Jimmy Dugan, the manager played by Tom Hanks, was based on? I believe I know this. Okay. I might be wrong. Jimmy Fox. That's mostly correct. It is Jimmy Fox and Hack Wilson, I guess. And it's because both of those guys had Hall of Fame careers and they both drank themselves out of the league in their final couple of seasons. Did you know that Jimmy Fox and or Hack Wilson became alcoholics late in their baseball careers? Had no idea about that. No, had no idea. But I, I just had always heard that Roman that's supposed to be this home run hitter, career fizzled out, now he's managing. And I believe Jimmy Fox literally managed in the women's league, right? That's exactly right that Jimmy Fox had actually managed in the league. So that's kind of cool that that was so accurate that it actually happened. They had said that Jimmy Dugan had hit 483 home runs, I think they said, in Major League Baseball. And, and of course, now he's like, and now I'm managing a baseball team, or a, a women's baseball team, and he was upset about it. But that, Jim, that Jimmy Fox had hit five, what, 30, 534 had won two batting titles and a triple crown, but declined sharply in his mid-30s, in part because of his affinity for booze, wound up managing the Fort Wayne Daisies for a season. So Jimmy Dugan's character, played by Tom Hanks, is pretty much a real character. That's pretty amazing. I'm just picturing a Jimmy Fox literally laying on the bench drunk, scratching his area, his package, and that basically being the yeah. sign to steal third base. How about this? In the, in the film... The Rockford Peaches and all of the women, they throw overhand. They throw like baseball pitchers. They do not throw underhand. They throw overhand. But in this, since so many women came from softball, in the actual baseball league, 
They were allowed to throw underhanded, but modified underhanded. They had a limited sidearm option. And so you could throw sidearm because most of the, the women at first didn't know how to throw overhand. And then they were they did this for about five years. And ultimately, then they had overhand pitching fully. Wow. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I've, this movie I've watched a million times when I was a kid. I believe the balls were bigger, but not quite as big as softballs. That's like exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. So most of the, the, the balls throughout time actually started, they started making them smaller and smaller and smaller. So Philip Harvey, or no, Walter Harvey, who created the league, who is, he's based on a real character as well. He's based on Wrigley. He's based on Philip Wrigley, who of Wrigley gum fame owned the Cubs and Wrigley Field. And that's why they were calling it Harvey Field, not Wrigley Field, and Harvey Bars. Yes. The old ode to Wrigley. Okay. Which is weird. I mean, I know that it's fictional, and I know Jimmy Dugan's a fictional character, and I know the players are fictional, but it's just weird to me that they couldn't just go all the way. Like, would the Wrigley family not allow that? I mean, that's a pretty awesome thing that their father had started. Why not just go all the way and call it, call that character real like they are the Wrigley family? I don't know. Maybe because Philip Wrigley, or in this case Walter Harvey, wanted to sell after a year, and he kind of yeah. wasn't behind the league, and so then – the other guy like had to Dunn. buy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. By the way, your your voice there started to digitize on the last answer, but now it's settled again. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is going to be a roller coaster. It's going to be a real roller coaster. Also, I think you forget that Madonna back in the early 90s wasn't kind of the punchline Madonna is now. That Madonna today is kind of seen as an att- like attention-grabbing for no reason, trying to hold on to maybe a certain era that she is kind of... She hasn't quite grown into like a sophisticated older woman. She's still trying to do Madonna things. And in 1992, Madonna is just crushing it. She's still a pop star. And I think that's when the sex book came out, the book of sex, whatever that was called. MTV was all over that. She had another album, I think, which the song is featured in the credits. And then she also is starring in this movie and really crushing it is all the way May. And she's a great actress in it for being a pop star. She fits seamlessly into the acting alongside Gina Davis and Tom Hanks and Rosie O'Donnell, who are actually actors. Yeah, and I mentioned this last week, and I'm not trying to make Whoopi Goldberg out to be Madonna by, or Madonna out to be Whoopi Goldberg. To me, a sign of a great movie character is you forget that they're that person and they are that character. I forgot that was Madonna for most of the movie. Like, to me, she was all the way May. She was a flirtatious, you know, maybe promiscuous center fielder for the Rockford Peaches. And to me, that is, for somebody like Madonna, who's a pop star, her, her main niche is singing and performing. To have that as an actress, to me, is unbelievable. Now, why did May, played by Madonna, call herself a taxi dancer? What is a taxi dancer? I didn't even think of that. I assumed that meant... Is that a stripper in the 40s? I I wasn't going to say stripper, but more of like a... Like a dancer, you know, whatever they do in like those cages that hang above bars where like they're not... 
<laughs> but okay. like they have, you know, tassels on where the areas would be. I'm looking this up right now. I don't believe there were any cages back in the 1940s above bars. A taxi dancer is a paid dance partner in a partner dance. Taxi dancers are hired to dance with their customers on a dance-by-dance basis. When taxi dancing first appeared in taxi dance halls, early 20th century, so early 1900s in the U.S., male patrons would typically buy dance tickets for a small sum. So a guy goes into a dance hall, he buys a dance ticket, and that ticket apparently allows him to grab basically stand-in dancers, which is what she was. Wow, that is, I hate to say it, dare I say, very desperate of men to be having to do this. Well, if you want to dance, yeah, I mean, yeah, so you're saying you're not actually hitting on women to try to get them to dance with you. You're actually just paying them to dance with you. Right. So, okay, it's fine. Dudes are single. They want to meet women, but you're not actually trying to meet women. You're just, ah, I'm going to pay. But, and then you're paying for that, like the camaraderie of dancing. To me, it's, uh, it's a little pathetic, but that's just. Stillwell could not have been more annoying. I was so annoyed by Stillwell the entire the entire movie. The, the little kid that's running around, chocolate bar in his face, covering the eyes of the the, uh, the bus driver. He's in the dugout. I mean, get Stillwell out of there. Yeah, and, and on that note, when Stillwell basically chases the bus driver away, where's the bus driver walking to? They seem to be on a highway right. in the middle, in the of, middle of nowhere. He yeah. just disappears in the cornfield like it's a hat tip to Field of Dreams. Where did he go? Exactly. If you're going to get off and walk, you should really walk closer to town that was a strategic misfire by the bus driver yeah and wouldn't you just at that point no matter how annoying still will is and i know he's pushing you to the edge don't you just get to town get to some civilization and go i quit then i mean there's no way i'm that frustrated that i'm walking it's gotta be a regret three minutes in as also be. jimmy dugan takes over driving and he's half in the back and he had just ripped a shot out of his flask yeah he was yeah. hammered, just took a shot, and just gets into the, the seat and starts driving. That's a dangerous bus ride. <laughs> very, very dangerous. Also, now that we're breaking down scene by scene here, that leads to them going to the Suds bucket. Obviously, Marla meets Nelson and everything like this. How is it that, and first of all, how young is the driver that brings Dottie Hinson who tries hitting on it? That kid feels like he's 15 years old. Also, how is it that she's aware that Harvey, whoever else from the league, is coming to the Suds bucket to bust the whole team. Like, how does she even have that information? There's not yeah. like Twitter or text messages, and she manages to find a driver and beat them there, and then they leave out the back, and then how the heck do they get home? That scene to me made no sense at all. Let me leave you with this before you talk to Bogus about League of Their Own on Side B. In the original cut of the movie, a drunken Jimmy Dugan, remember when he's taking batting practice? Yes. Pitching machine, batting practice, which kind of struck me like, wow, in 1943, they got a pitching machine. But it's kind of like an old machine, and it's just scooping up baseballs and pitching them in. Okay. He's kind of drunk. Dottie Hinson comes out and finds him. She wanders over, starts talking to him, and they kiss. Excuse me? Now, Jimmy Dugan, because he's drunk... Is somewhat attracted, apparently, to... There's always... There's kind of a little bit of sexual tension there. But he's hammered and kisses Dottie. She briefly returns the kiss before running off ashamed. Okay, this was the original cut of the movie. Wow. Now, you might be like, well, why didn't they keep that in? Or maybe to 
your reaction like, oh, God, you can't have that in the movie. Apparently, when it was screened for former players, this is a cool thing that Penny Marshall did. Before it was released, it was screened for women that used to play in this league. So the older women you saw in the movie screened it before it was released. It upset them deeply. They saw one of their own whose husband was away at war kiss another man, which was out of moral character for one of their own. They would have never done that. So the filmmakers heard them and said, you know what, we got to cut this out. I was going to say, to me, especially because they highlight how much Dottie longs for and misses her husband, I would think that that kind of gives the wrong message for the women in this league and kind of just depicts women that, yeah, they'll kiss whoever if their man's gone. And I think that it, that actually sends the wrong message for women in a movie that is supposed to inspire women. So they, they ultimately listened to the women that played and said, no, we would have never done that. And so they cut it off, cut it out. So what an interesting historical anecdote, right? Good for Tom Hanks. Gets one one kiss in that doesn't make <laughs> It also makes you realize that Gina Davis back in the early 90s was an absolute superstar and then kind of faded away pretty quickly. I mean, she's in Beetlejuice. She's in A League of Their Own. She's in Thelma and Louise. And that's all kind of like a three-year period. And, boy, the last Gina Davis film that was of any significance must have been like more than 15 years ago. Right. And you see Gina Davis with these other megastars that are still very relevant today in 2020. Oh, yeah. And you would think Gina Davis is the star of stars with all of them in the movie that she would have had this career where we would still be seeing Gina Davis today in movies. I don't even know how old Gina Davis would be today, but you would think she'd still be relevant. Yeah, she would be in her 60s. Well, she is in her 60s. Okay, so you would think, again, she'd be relevant. And also, on that note, a little weird to me that for no reason it kind of felt like they invited an older version of John Lovett's character to Cooperstown and that somehow he was still alive. Now, all these yes. women had aged. Yes. You, I got the impression when he was scouting, I mean, he has to be 20 years older than these. He's got to be in his now. 40s at that point. To be able to scout, to be a baseball scout and been through and earn your way up to that point, and he's scouting out west and going to Oregon and Colorado. Now, they, these are women, if I did the math correct, that this should have been in 1991, 1992, they all would have been about in their 70s, early mid-70s. So you're, you mean to tell me that that he's just fine walking around? He kind of reminded me of uh, Uncle Lewis in Christmas Vacation, smoking the stogie inside the Hall of Fame. But, you know, you would think in real life, if there was a situation, he'd be like 90. Why would he be there? I don't know. That just struck me as a lot of It's a fair question. You're starting to digitize again, so we'll wrap up here for side A. She apparently was in Glow, the TV series about the women's wrestling in the in the 1980s, the, the women's wrestling circuit. Then also did a few episodes as Dr. Nicole Herman in Grey's Anatomy in the mid-teens. So I guess she's been doing some TV. Okay, okay. All right, so that is side A, a league of their own. Side B with Moraz and Bogish up now. All right, welcome into Side B. This is Mraz, host of Side B and the executive producer of the DA Show. And as we point out in Side A, whirlwind of a week. I don't know if you're getting robot Mraz right now or regular Mraz right now, but I hope we're getting clear Andrew Bogish. Bogey, hello. Uh, hello, Sean. You sound fine, not to jinx it, but you're good so far. All right, yeah, I, there has been, and we just highlighted this at the beginning of Side A, the, me running to a Target and a Staples. I have had 
whatever connection problems have been going on have been brutal. It was, what, last week or two weeks ago that we were mocking you for not being able to play mm. cuts. Uh, DA has had some internet issues. Look, glitches are expected when we're all doing the show from home. Obviously, not everything's going to go smooth, but... My uh, my issues started to pile on, and now I feel a little guilty for making fun of you and your own technological problems throughout this. No, don't feel guilty. Um, and really, like, the, and you know, the frustrating thing, at least for me, and I think for you too, is that, like I can't hear the problems that I've had on my end. Like the other day, yes. I told you on the air, Monday at twelve thirty Eastern time, I did an update for Jim Rome that sounded okay to me. Now I do have a little bit of a, like a mic meter on my screen for volume. And I noticed that it was high, so I thought I might have just been too loud. But apparently I sounded like Bane from the new Batman movies. But it sounded fine to me, so you know, I'm chugging along through 90 minutes reading sports news, having no idea I sound like, again, this misfit robot. I wish I knew and could hear the problems so that I could try and fix it, but I have to you know, go on the air and sound like a dope um, and then find out I sounded like a dope. Right, and see, that to me is the technological part of this I will never understand, is because when you guys as an audience are hearing me and hear me go into robotic mode, in my headset, like you just mentioned, I sound normal, so I have no idea that this is how I'm being interpreted, and... It is not as if there is a glitch on the return. I am hearing you and DA or Pete and everybody right. in my headset just like it's you know business as usual and normal. So I would think, you know, common sense would tell me if there was a true connection with my line, it would be a problem going back in the other way, and I would be hearing glitchiness in my headset as well as going out. I don't understand any of this. I won't pretend to understand any of this. But bottom <laughs> line is something needs to get fixed. Well, and you know, just again, thinking out loud, trying to diagnose what the problem is, I feel like too, if you were having an internet, an overall internet problem, your video would be messed up too, because your video right. is going through the same connection. And it really hasn't. I, maybe yesterday, there was audio and video, like just a little bit of a, a loss in crispness. But today, when you were sounding like that, you looked fine. So the more I think about it, maybe it's it's somewhere from your machine between that and the studio that this is prop this is happening i, I don't know there's right. just there's so many different things well, in play here and different layers to connections it could be a, eight different things right which is why i thought it was my internet or ethernet cord and as we talked about inside of me running out to get a new cord because it, mine looked a little bent i didn't know what really happened i thought you know who knows maybe my wife had unplugged some things or whatever but yeah like i, I have four amazon alexas in all these rooms that my wife uses to play music for the baby to sleep and obviously my netflix or amazon prime I mean, heck, how I'm watching Aliyah or Otis through the internet and through Wi-Fi. I have had no internet issues in my house whatsoever. So, uh, you know, the idea that I have an internet it's problem. happening now, by the way. Oh, see? What the heck? All right, I'm going to have to handle this post-podcast. So before I, I fall off the face of the earth and I'm a robot and Billy has to, you know, run into problems he doesn't want to run into, shock alone, uh, editing for DA, I, I, let me just ask you this, the, uh, Bogus, your favorite part of the League of Their Own or the thing you hated the most? Let's see your critique. There's nothing to hate about a League of Their Own. I mean, there are little things that were, I think I noticed, like a, very, very minor details. I feel like a lot happened, and I wasn't really sure, like, what the timeline was. Because from the beginning, I mean, Ernie... <laughs> Wait, bogus, play, bogus, now we're... In the season in Oregon. <laughs> bogus, we just lost you now. You lost me now? And now you came back. What? Is, see, now I'm starting what to think it's something back. What is going on? At, I, it's got to be something back at the studios. It has to be.
Has to be. Remember, you fell off the face I mean, of the earth a couple weeks the, ago? Maybe all of these connections... Right. Maybe all these connections that were never getting used and now are being used every single day, nonstop, for three months. They, they're just screaming, uncle, they need a break. Um, but what I was saying is, like, I, I don't know how much time elapsed in a league of their own. Because it was already spring, I guess, in Oregon when, they fat, when, when we're scouting the Henson sisters. Then they're traveling to Chicago. Then they're tryouts. Then they're playing. They're playing a lot of games. Marla meets a dude. They get married. She leaves. Dottie leaves, a husband dies, they're playing seven-game World Series. Like, it was, at times, I wonder just where we were time-wise. I thought maybe some of the baseball scenes were edited weird, like the ball was hit, and it seemed like it was going to right field at contact, but then the left fielder was making a play. There were times where women were flying out to the fence 400 feet away, but if you were looking at the scene a different way, the center fielder was playing, like, behind second base, as if no one could get it over her head. So there were some weird things like that, but the movie, it's a classic which is why the, the question on Tuesday, will it hold up? Of course it's going to hold up. It's an all-time movie, um, and it was great. And, I, and I, it was funnier than I remember it. I hadn't seen it in probably 10 years. Um, all of the one-liners from Jimmy Dugan through Ernie, uh, through a lot of them, I, that's the stuff I, I had forgotten about. It's a funny movie on top of being a feel-good story, too. I totally agree. I laughed out loud hard. I guess my issue would be, and it's more of, it has nothing to do with the movie because the movie actually followed the real teams. You know, to have the women play during war and have that be almost a substitute for the appetite of baseball in the country, it felt a little weird that they just picked four kind of small Midwest towns to have these teams, but they are the real towns that were used. If you wanted yeah. that appetite, why not play in New York and Boston? Wouldn't that, in Chicago, wouldn't that make that substitute for people? It was like you put teams in towns so where they wouldn't have been missing baseball anyway. I made a new discovery today that on the IMDb the IMDb page for all of these movies, for every movie, there's like a trivia tab, and it gives you all little behind-the-scenes notes and nuggets, what's real, what's not. Like it told me, I found this morning, that Eddie was filmed at the Charlotte Coliseum. That was the garden. They were never inside the garden in Eddie, only exterior shots. Everything else inside was Charlotte Coliseum. The For this page, for League of Their Own, talks about the real league, was in those cities because there was no Major League Baseball there, period. Don't forget, baseball never stopped. It lost players, but the, but the games continued. So had they put these games in New York, people still wanted to see the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Giants. They probably would not have gone and watched women play. So they put them in these Midwest cities where there were no actual games to watch, and it was a draw for people in that regard. And in reality, too, apparently, it was popular from the beginning. You know, the movie tells it's, it's we might shut down. How are we going to fix this? Then all those gimmicky things come in, like ki kissing a dude who catches a foul ball. Apparently, in reality, they never needed those things. Right from the get-go, the league was successful because it was in small markets without competition. Okay, so that's interesting. I am not going to lie, and I could get ridiculed for this. I guess I never really thought about that baseball didn't actually shut down. I think somewhere in my brain, because of watching a League of Their Own the whole life and kind of hearing the stories of players going off to war, I think in my own mind right. I thought it shut down for a season. No, they they played, but they played without Ted Williams. They played without DiMaggio. They played without Bob Feller. I mean, these, those and those are the the name guys that left, but not everybody went. So there were there were seasons where teams played without how I don't even know how many guys, how many, especially without star players, but they played. But this was a different, you know, a different way to have to to get people's attention on baseball. 
Interesting. Okay, and one of the biggest debates we had on the show before we wrap up here, and again, I have no idea who sounds like a robot between Bogus and I because we're hearing this. <laughs> I think we're okay per- right now. Perfectly clear. Will, was to me the Marla Hooch debate, and I think Marla Hooch yeah. disgraced her teammates, and I, I don't think you went as far as disgrace, but I think you kind of didn't understand either why you would have to miss the rest of the season. Getting married is fine. I have no issue with Marla Hooch getting married. You guys pointed out why she would rush into it, and that's all good and plenty, but to to not just take three days off and then come back to your team, the bail in the season to me, I thought it was a disgrace, and everything her father had really you know built for her to have this baseball career, the fact that her father obviously comes to the wedding – all of that. I would have liked a little one-on-one with the media, getting a newspaper article, asking the father how he feels, <laughs> that Marla yeah. Bell. Because I, I feel like I was the only one screaming at the TV, and I'm watching the father hug her, and I'm not saying he shouldn't be happy at the wedding, but she's basically spitting in the face of everything he built her career to be, and she finally has this chance, and she runs off with a guy she met at the studs bucket. It was a disaster. Yeah, so again, love, go get it. You need to get married, that's fine. It was confusing as to why she had to go, and... You know, my mom, who's a very loyal listener to the show and a watcher of WatchDA.com, she texted me after the segment and said that Marla left and Dottie went home for a little bit because back then women were subservient to their husbands, which was a theme of the movie, no doubt. But I don't want to think badly about Nelson, that Nelson met a baseball player, Marla Hooch, who was in town to play baseball and said, okay, this is great. Now we're married. Now come be my wife. Plus, she said, see you next year. So she was coming back. It wasn't like Nelson put his foot down and said, well, now you need to go home and make, right. a, make a home for us and be in the kitchen. Let's have kids and barefoot and pregnant. So I, I, it, it, to me, thinking about it, it took me back to my like time frame question. Like, Did, did Marla think that because she was going to be gone for two weeks for their honeymoon by the time she got back, the season was going to be over? And that's why she said, see you next season? But then they played a bunch of games and the World Series. So I don't don't understand why she left. But I don't think it's because she was now time to be a wife and just to go home because she said she was coming back next year. That's that's what made no sense to me whatsoever. And and frankly, and I'll leave you with this, Bogish, as much as the pitching problems, I mean, let's face it, we talked about Rookie of the Year where Henry Mm -hmm. Rowengarner and Chet Stedman don't end up pitching for the Cubs, but yet they win a World Series. They had obviously lost Kit Keller. Betty Spaghetti's husband ends up passing away. The pitching was going to be a problem for the Rockford Peaches, but if they don't have Marla Hooch or Dottie Hinson basically quit on the team and we get Dottie for a Game 7, you have to think the Rockford Peaches dispose of the Racine Bells before seven games. Yes. I would think it'd be an easier series. We'd never see a Game 7 if the Peaches were at full strength. And I guess it's a credit to all of them that were there and Jimmy Dugan to get them to a Game 7 to let Dottie come back and give them a chance uh, to finally win the title there. But yeah, I mean, it's um, it could have been it could have been easier. It could have been far less dramatic and had no chance for Kit to have this magical moment of finally one-upping her big sister. And that will wrap another week, Bogish, of Mothership at the Movies. I think I've lost count. I think we've done about 12 of these, if I'm not mistaken. Might be more. I mean, it has to be around there. Right, three months of Mothership at the Movies. It felt good to do another really good movie. I have no idea what next week holds. We have probably some ideas in our own head, but, uh, Jay, just another week of, of scratching your head and wondering how the heck a manager manages to get drunk before a game and uh, end up being a manager of the year. So, Bogish, uh, I'm going to now get on the phone with our technological department back at the studio mm. and figure out what the heck is going on in my line, and hopefully by the next time I talk to you, I sound nice, cr- clear, and crisp. Hey, you sounded great. You finished strong, which is most important, uh, and good luck on your, your tech pursuit right now. 
appreciate it. And Andrew Bogish on Twitter, at Andrew Bogish, what a C. It makes no sense. He's got a smoker. He's got propane. It's a whole thing. You can follow me on Twitter, at CBS. Have a great week, everyone. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 